snippets of timeless classics with ramblings on everything bookish, Ink and Quill connects you with literature, culture and writers in China and around the globe. Discovering literature and following the stories behind your favorite authors, this is Ink and Quill. I'm your host, Yang Yong. In 1979, China and America, two great powers across the Pacific, established a formal diplomatic relation. By the time the joint communique was signed, many non-governmental interactions had already been going on for decades. Despite the occasional turbulence and friction, an increasingly number of people from both sides have started to regard each other's countries as lands of opportunity or even another home. Since the moment I arrived here, and I realized that I could pursue dreams that I would not have been able to back home in America, I immediately was infatuated with Chinese language and the characters. So I switched and took a Chinese class and、uh, became a Chinese studies major. As these expatriates explore new worlds, uncover new skills, and connect with new crowds in a place far away from the motherlands, they are also compelled to embrace the downsides and challenges of international living. Once I、uh, auditioned for a Montreal comedy festival, and、uh, the person just says to me, "Hey,、uh, I think you have some funny jokes." But、uh, I don't think、uh, American audience will accept an immigrant story. One of the funny things is watching foreigners land here with all these big dreams, and usually the Chinese wipe them out real quick.、Uh, and the ones who stay eventually figure how how to play the game. So, what does it feel like to be a U.S. citizen in the Middle Kingdom, and how does a Chinese get acculturated to America's melting pot of culture? In today's Inconquil, we talk with some of the expats to find out their respective answers. Hi, everybody. This is Huang Xi, or better known for his English name, Zhou Wang. Like my son is an honor student. Yes, he does speak English with a heavy accent, but that does not stop this nerdy and nervous-looking Chinese fellow venture into stand-up comedy and become China's funniest export to America. Were you guys worried about the economy? I'm not, because I grew up poor. You know, if I become poor again, I'll just feel young. Graduated from Rice University in 2000, this biochemist was not widely recognized as a comedian until 2010. At the 66th annual radio and television correspondents' dinner, he roasted the then Vice President Joe Biden, gaining a wider following in both China and the U.S. In 2013, Joe Wang came back to his native soil to tape his own programs, which have turned out to be fairly popular. But how could this comic manage to tickle the funny bones of both Chinese and Americans? To find out the recipe to his success, let's listen to a report issued by our reporter He Fei in 2013. My name is Joe Wang. But to most people, I am known as Who. <laughs> Zhou Wang uses his clever jokes to make people laugh and think. He returned to China with his first book, a biography called *The Tale of Humor*, in which he shares his life experiences both in China and America. I wrote a lot of, about、uh, how I got started in comedy, a lot of the obstacles I faced.、Um, I 
call it the three mountains, you know, the, the language barrier, uh, the cultural barrier, and the extent to which the Americans will accept uh, immigrants as a main story. The book is divided into three parts. The first one is mainly about Wang's life experiences in China. Growing up in northeast China, Wang was not always a successful person. He once posted a sentence on his microblog that said, When I was young, I thought I was an idiot, but now I find I am in the majority. When asked why he wrote those words, Wang says when he was a little boy, nobody believed he would make such great achievements. A lot of my teachers told my parents, oh, your son is slow, your son is uh, not very smart, you know. But then when I grew up, I noticed that, uh, you know, people make a lot of mistakes. You know, just, and uh, when I was little, because my dad always uses himself as an example, and I always feel that my dad is a perfect person. <laughs> he never makes any mistakes. And I just assumed uh, adults don't make any mistakes either. And then when I grew up, I just gradually realized everybody makes mistakes all the time. <laughs> so I'm one of them. Zhou Wang's road to his success is not a simple story. After he graduated from college, he passed the entrance examination for postgraduate study and became a new member of the Chinese Academy of Sciences. To pass the graduate record examination so he could study for a doctorate in biochemistry in the United States, he recited the entire Oxford Dictionary eight times. Wang never backed down from any of the difficulties he faced. He worked late almost every night when he was studying at Rice University in Texas. To make better jokes, he took a class on how to write jokes each evening after his research job. He even asked passersby on the street to go to some comedy club on cold winter nights, whether they like his jokes or not. Once I uh, auditioned for a Montreal comedy festival, and uh, the person just says to me, Hey, uh, I think you have some funny jokes. But uh, I don't think uh, uh, American audience will accept an immigrant story. They just believe that uh, mainstream uh, media or uh, most Americans are not interested in the immigrant story, which I never quite believed, you know, because America is a country of immigrants. Uh, if they're not immigrants, their parents are or their grandfathers are. So a lot of immigrants in this world. Everybody is living in a place that they're not born in. So it's a very common phenomenon. And uh, I just think uh, it's worth it to um, have a, a stand-up comedy or a, a TV show or movie to just uh, talk about when people are put into a new environment, how they struggle and then how they find their happiness. Wong's hard work finally paid off when he received an award at the third annual Great American Comedy Festival. Afterwards, he was invited to perform at the annual White House Dinner for American Radio and Television Correspondents. That's uh, actually something my wife said to me. She said, oh, Joe, uh, it's, it's time for you to be selfish. Just don't worry about anything at home. You know, focus on uh, writing good jokes for the, the performance. I'm honored to uh, meet uh, Vice President Joe Biden here tonight. Um, I actually read your autobiography. And today I see you. I think the book is much better. <laughs> At the end of the White House gala, Wang says in the book that he felt very proud when he walked out of the building. He says the only thing that has made it all good is that without high expectations, when you drop from the top, it will not hurt as much. And that is Zhou Wang's The Tale of Humor. That was He Fei sharing with us the life story of Zhou Wang, a Chinese immigrant who is rocking America's comedy scene. 
But not every Chinese expat in the United States adapts so well like Zhou Wan. Many have experienced culture shock, frustration, and setbacks. Cao Guilin is one of them. The Beijing-born author documents his experience as an immigrant in the semi-biographical bestseller, "A Native of Beijing in New York," whose namesake TV drama was also a national hit back in the 1990s. Now, after some twenty years, the book is hitting the shelves again, along with the sequel *New Yorker in Beijing*. Cao talked with our reporter Xiang Wei on his books and identity struggle. If you love him, bring him to New York for its heaven. If you hate him, bring him to New York for its hell. For most middle-aged Chinese people, a native of Beijing in New York is an everlasting masterpiece. Adopted from the original story by Glenn Cao Guilin, a Chinese immigrant who has been in the United States for some 30 years, the show became a big screen hit in 1993. The story is about the struggle of a Beijing family during their first few years in New York. They are constantly tormented by the cultural shock and real-life problems, so they often ask themselves questions like, "Should we leave or stay?" or "Is this city a paradise or hell?" You say you want to leave, but here you come again. I say. No more infatuation, belong for its return. The sequel takes place 20 years later, when the main character in the original story, Wang Qiming, returns to China. The dramatically changed lives of Wang and his two friends are still full of twists in the new story. Cao Guilin says the two stories are both based on his own struggle with immigrant life in the U.S. The first book was inspired by my daughter's rebellion in the first few years after we moved to America. The new story is inspired by the sudden demise of one of my best friends, who died in an accident on his way to catch a red-eye plane in the early morning. I also want to express my pains through all these years in America. Cao says life of Chinese immigrants is seemingly not much different from 20 years ago. 生活在这个时代的，甭管是美籍吧，还是华籍的。Both locals and Chinese Americans have dealt with difficulties financially and spiritually in the past two decades. Life of the main character Wang Qiming has not changed much, as he still struggles with financial issues and difficulties in business. On the contrary, his friends, who never got a chance to go to America, became successful. So Wang was shocked every time he came back. It is not a surprise that this story is mostly inspired by the writer's own observations, which are shared by those who travel regularly between China and America. It's not just the environmental change or the 
This change is not just about new buildings; it is more about the change of Chinese people's mindset during the economic boom. It seems all my friends in China are going global and taking a dominant position, while my life is still much limited. This shift of power and mindset is reflected by the ups and downs of three childhood friends in the new book. Director Zheng Xiaolong is planning to remake the classic *A Native of Beijing in New York* into a TV series. Chao Guilin's works are based on real life and personal emotions. Most of the novels nowadays fail to do so. He only writes it down after experiencing something particularly touched his soul, which makes his works perfect to be put on TV. Cao Guilin says there is another profoundly unchanged part among Chinese immigrants, which is their enduring nostalgia for the motherland. They are intellectuals who work in college, but they still love Chinese pop culture. They still know all the celebrity gossips, and they can still remember those pop songs. This surprises me. Where do their hearts belong to? It is their homeland. Just like Cao Guilin, who still speaks in a perfect Beijing dialect, the immigrants' nostalgia for home will never fade out. This is probably the ultimate humanitarian purpose of the new book, as well as its companion volume. That was Shang Wei there, taking a look at Chinese American writer Cao Guilin's latest book. You are listening to Ink and Quill. In the first half of today's episode, some Chinese expatriates are voicing their life in the United States. Coming up. When I moved there, I thought I was going to sort of do a fun book about a year in the life of a Chinese village. What I wasn't expecting when I moved there is that this massive transformation. My primary objective is not that necessarily that people will take every word I say as the gospel truth, but that they will open their eyes and allow China to speak for itself. There is more to come, so stay tuned. Explore the life of great wordsmiths. Share their stories beyond the pages. Ink and Quill brings you the voices of writers and book lovers. This is Ink and Quill. I'm your host Yang Yong. As China strides towards prosperity and modernization, towering architectures, bustling streets, and a fast-paced lifestyle are gradually becoming the most profound impression of the country for many foreigners. A great number of Western writers have published books on urban China, but the rural part of the nation is rarely mentioned. But as a reporter Zhang Wan finds out, a book written by American author Michael Meyer might break the ice. In winter, the land is frozen and still. A cloudy sky shines off snow-covered rice paddies, reflecting light so bright. You have to shield your eyes. I lean into a stinging wind, and trudge north up Red Flag Road to a village named Wasteland. With these gripping and graphic descriptions shown above, this is how American author Michael Meyer starts his latest book in Manchuria, a village called Wasteland, and the transformation of rural China. For many readers, as a geographical term, Manchuria may sound quite strange, unless you switch it to Dongbei, which literally means northeast in Chinese. 
With a population and size equal to Germany and France combined, the region is always synonymous with the cradle of the mighty Qing dynasty. Numbing cold as well as the hometown of warm-hearted and generous Northeasterners. I grew up in Minnesota, which is in the the American North. You know, it's the origin of the Mississippi River, and it's a lot of countryside there too. And I grew up around corn farms, especially.、Um, and so when I moved up to this village, to me, it felt a lot like home. Actually,、um, my home is also snowy and cold, and people play ice hockey. Um, and our farmers, and so when I got there, it was sort of a relief. Actually,、um, after living in Sichuan and living in Beijing, I felt like, oh, I've come home. In 2010, after finishing his internationally acclaimed debut, The Last Days of Old Beijing, this travel writer decided to spend some time in a rice farming community in Jilin Province, where his wife grew up. When I moved there, I thought I was going to sort of do a fun. Uh, book about local history and local jokes and local recipes and sort of just like a year in the life of a Chinese village. What I wasn't expecting when I moved there is that this massive transformation was going to happen, where the the family held farms were being converted into a company-run、uh, agribusiness. Instead of romanticize a tranquil pastoral image of the Chinese countryside, Meyer applies a sharp alertness of a former journalist to document the astonishing transformation of this hamlet. Empty boxes of expensive Panda brand cigarettes and bottles of Mao Tai liquor are dotted along the main road, giving off the smell of new money. The residents of Wasteland lease their land rights to a private agribusiness company and move into high-rising apartments. And a huge billboard is standing beside the road with the message: "Build the Northeast Top Village." When、um, the Hot Spring Resort, for example, opened, I said to the farmers, "Like, is this a bad thing, right? Because you don't go to this resort." And they said, "No, it's a really good thing.、Um, we are not a dead end anymore. We are integrated into Jilin Province. We have people coming from different cities to visit our village. We're integrated into China proper because people all over China are buying our rice."、Um, so their attitudes have changed too; that they don't consider themselves villagers anymore necessarily. But he also reveals a much more mixed emotion behind the seemingly promising urbanization. Seniors still feel attached to their lands. Some farmers are concerned about the rice price, and people worry about that if they give up old homes in exchange for living in modern apartments, they will lose secondary incomes by keeping the farming yards. Meyer emphasizes that what happens in wasteland is definitely not a typical image of rural China, but rather an epitome of the country on the brink of change. I think、um, Western countries have already gone through this movement, you know, this generational shift from small towns to big cities, from an agricultural-based economy to a service and knowledge-based economy, and China's catching up. It's going through that period right now. But be aware that in Manchuria is anything but a simple sociological research. Combining elements of travelogue, memoir, reportage, and historical research, the writer delves into the past 400 years of the vast landscape. Traveling 25,000 miles throughout the region, he weaves the rich texture of history into life of today. There's no other part of China that's been the site of so many international incidents and foreign occupations and all these different wars. Just, there's so much history overlapping on each other up there. John Wan introduced us to American author Michael Myers' latest book, which gives us a glimpse into the radical transformation in rural China. Now it's time to unwind. 
Let's sit back, sip a cup of tea, and listen to the conversation between our reporter Doris Wong and American sinologist Mark Levine, whose passion towards the Middle Kingdom is presented in his teachings and songs. Hello, Mr. Levine. Well, let's start with the title of your book, "Stories from My Chinese Journey." Why did you choose the word Chinese instead of China? I hadn't really thought about it that way, but it's my Chinese. It's my journey in China. I talk about places, but most importantly, I talk about Chinese people.、I、wanted to give Chinese people an opportunity to explain for themselves their own goals and dreams and perspective on their country. On a twenty-four-hour train ride. Songs to Guangzhou. There were so many wonderful sights to see. What motivated you to put all these stories into a book? As you know, I started originally by writing songs about my experiences, and I had a friend, who an American, who had come to Beijing in 2007 to see him and say, "I don't get it." So I read the New York Times and all these bad things in China, and he said, "I come out and I、mm-hmm. see people laughing, smiling, crying." Arguing, getting along, eating, just doing things that people do. It wasn't always this bad thing and bad situation and negative. So I know an awful lot of people, particularly in the West, who don't understand much about China. I wanted to tell the stories of the people that I interacted with in all different kinds of settings, and I chose to do that in a way that, in some instances, it's me talking, but in other instances, it's Chinese people speaking for themselves. I went to the Chinese countryside to spend spring. Festival there. For a month, I talked with folks about the things of which they care. You talk about the Western media having a skewed perception of China. Have you had any preconceptions about China? Well, I teach at a university, Zhongyang Minzu Dashuai, Minzu University of China. Students from all 56 Chinese ethnic groups. And in the United States, I understand the idea of a multicultural society, but I would hear reference to China as a multicultural society, and I just didn't understand it. I said, Chinese people are Chinese people. And then when I started teaching at Minzu University, and I began to understand for the first time because I was exposed to a great diversity of.、China. Chinese culture. In your book, you often call yourself a cultural ambassador. How did you get this title? I'm not the person that created that.、Uh, part of what happens, I played guitar since I was very young,、mm-hmm. but coming to China caused a certain amount of inspiration, and I began to write songs in English style, American country music, which talked about China.、And、many foreigners would hear these, and some of them would, "Oh yeah, I've seen that. I never thought about it that way." So it's good for them. And then similarly, Chinese people again perceive this as looking kind of through my eyes. And then after a period of time, I began to learn. I don't. Speak Chinese, but I began to learn to sing Chinese songs. I teach English in China at Zhongyang University. Music obviously played a big part in your experience in China. How has it helped you in your efforts in learning about the Chinese culture? I played guitar since I was nine years old. And then I played when I came to China. But I was just inspired by the experiences that I had and the places I'd been and the people I met. And then I wanted to share it. I've performed in ten provinces. I've been at shows with fifty thousand people in the audience. I've had numerous TV performances. Each of these gave me different experiences. Like when the moon controls the sky. As an English teacher, what was your students' response to your book? 
the statement that I frequently get is, Mark, this is like a window. This is like I'm looking through your eyes and seeing us. So people are very excited with that. Another thing that also excites people is I get a number of students who say, Mark, I'm halfway through your book and I only had to use the dictionary three times. And I explain that it's written for foreigners. It's in English. But at the same time, I want Chinese people who understand English to be able to read it. So it's written in a language that minimizes the more complex words because I want to try to be reader friendly and give people a chance to understand. What do you hope people from outside of China would learn from reading your book? My primary objective is not that necessarily that people will take every word I say as the gospel truth, but that they will open their eyes and listen and allow China to speak for itself and allow Chinese people to speak for itself. Mark Levine entertained us with his travel experiences and China-themed songs. On that note, it's time to wrap up today's program. To learn more about us, you are welcome to follow our Facebook account, China Plus. For previous episodes, you can download our podcast from iTunes by searching the keywords ink and quill. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Yang Yong. See you next week.